Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hamels at 73 pitches, so in all likelihood this will be the last inning he throws. The pitch, another swing and a miss for strike three, and the fifth is over. Looks about as good as you could expect from Cole Hamels, right? Outstanding. He had a great changeup today. He had a playoff slash World Series changeup going on today. Uh, he was very good. A fastball. Up 91, 92 on occasion, which was good. I thought he had a good line from where I was uh, watching. Threw a couple good curveballs. He just pitched really well today. Um, so that was very impressive for his first time back. That's Joe Madden on Cole Hamels, who came back. They had a 75-pitch uh, a limit set there on Cole Hamels, and he very conveniently got done at 74 through five innings. That's... That's efficient. That's almost artfully getting it done right there to the limit. It is hit and run right here on 670 The Score. I'm your host, Matt Spiegel. We are live at Brick House as it's starting to fill up right off of Gallagher Way in, I mean, a Sunday that is going to cap off an absolutely picture-perfect Chamber of Commerce-level weather week here in Chicago, finally. And where better to spend it than Wrigley Field for uh, for our man Jim Deshays of the Cubs broadcast team, the, the color man on WGN today uh, with his partner, Len Casper. Hello there, Jim. Hi, Speaks. How are you today? I, I am wonderful. It has uh, been absolutely perfect. It's, it's uh, probably been a nice couple of days to watch this team from above and see them playing with uh, confidence and with some joy and with some good execution, too. Yeah, home sweet home, right? Uh, they come home. You know, the pitching, the starting pitching has been on a pretty good roll here for a while. Uh, offensively on the road trip, they, they, they scuffled. Uh, things always seem to get better when they come back here to Wrigley. Um, it's, it's been fun to watch, you know, Castellanos. I mean, small sample, obviously, but, but I like the way he plays the game. I think he's going to help. Uh, of course, the big downer is the injury to Contreras. We're not sure. Uh, MRI tomorrow, we don't know how long he's going to be out. That's a, a very difficult void to fill. Do you have um, Do you have any um, uh, totally outlandish, absurd theory that you'd like to throw on the ever-growing pile of the home and road splits? I mean, my I goodness, it, it's it, it it that's the one these days you can throw out on sports radio and guys call up and say absolutely anything. It does. It doesn't feel like there's anything tangible to really hold Correct. on to. There's nothing. There's there's, no, there's nothing there. I mean, you can identify performance oh this guy's better at home than he is on the road you can do that but the why and how to fix it uh, there is no answer it's just it is what it is the baseball is a weird game wacky stuff happens it's reasonable to expect a team that can play so well at home should be a good bit better than they've been on the road or you could argue well because they've been so bad on the road maybe they're over their skis a little bit at home um huh. you know i looked the other day and their their run differential until the, the, the blowout loss, and it may still be, their, their run differential was actually positive on, on the road. road. They actually outscored the opponent on the road. They just, you know, they've lost a lot of close games. So I think if I'm in the clubhouse, um, I'm just trying to, 
let's just keep going. Let's not try to get too funky and, and try to come up with creative solutions when, when there are none. Let's just go out and play good baseball. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully that turns around because if we're a good team, we should ultimately be a little bit better on the road than we are. Normally, you know, you think of a winning team, you think take care of business, have a really good home winning record, and, and at least kind of tread water, be a 500 club on the road. Obviously, there are exceptions. The 87 Twins were 23 and 59 or something like that on the road. Interesting. And they won the World Series. So weird things happen. Wow. I, I didn't realize they were that bad yeah. on the road. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and I think of their great playoff moments, and I see them all in that. All, that, they, they, all in the bag. The, the, the seven-game series against the Cardinals that year, the home team won every game. Uh-huh. And, and I think their 91 series win over the Braves, I think they won every game at home. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, mean, I know for sure 87. I'm not positive about that. Uh, yeah, I, think, I think you're probably right, that, that absurd baggy. Um, and, and now that team is, is, is crazy fun again, just hitting the ball all over the place. Um, we've talked enough. I think you realize that I'm, um, I'm a hippie. I'm a dirty hippie. I, I believe in, 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 in the power of chemistry. I believe really what I believe in is the power of confidence. And a lot of these guys do. And like Castellano said something yesterday, like, oh, no, I fake it until, until I make it every once in a while. But if I had to go for something, it's like they got smacked down a little bit last year, and there's just that small, often imperceptible loss of confidence that can affect you sometimes more on the road or more in adver- slightly adverse situations. And you come home, and of course you feel better, and you feel better about yourself at this place because you've got more good memories here than anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm buying. I know you don't buy. That's why I brought it up. You know. Um, <laughs> Get the the incense and walk around every visiting clubhouse with some incantation. Yes. I'm, not, I'm not above that. Yes. I mean, whatever it takes. I mean, if if there's something that creates a level of buy-in for the player, right. I'm all for it. See, there it yeah. is. Yeah. If they just buy in, yeah. it's good. It takes me back. Was it? Is it the natural? Losing is a disease, yeah. right? And then they bring in the sports um, Years ago, uh, the Astros, this predates me getting there, and I don't know if it was just a losing streak or if it was road versus home. Um, but they brought in a hypnotist. They were, the team was in L.A., and they called a team meeting. Uh, the front office did, and, and they, they got a ballroom in L.A., and they brought this hypnotist in. Yeah. And I'm, Alan Ashby told me this story. <laughs> he said the, uh, the hypnotist uh, kind of put everybody in a trance, and he uh-huh. had him go over and, you know, talk about the willpower. You can will your way to victory, basically. Uh-huh. And he said, so we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to go over, we're going to bend at the waist, we're going to put your head on the wall, and I'm going and, and to... Uh, I'm going to put a spell on you where you won't be able to pull your head off the wall, the power of the mind. And so he did all whatever he had to say. He said, okay, lean against the wall, put your head against the wall. The whole team did. So imagine this, the whole roster <laughs> bent at the waist in some ballroom in L.A. with their head stuck on the wall. Uh-huh. He goes, now stand up, and he snapped his fingers. And Ashby and I think Bill Dolly just stood right up. And he got, he got nobody else did. And he, he got furiously uh, mad. The front office, I can't remember who the GM was at the time. It might have been Al Rosen. But, but Ashby and Dolly got called in. It's like, what's the deal, man? Why did you not allow yourself to be hypnotized? <laughs> so, well, we didn't know that was the, the thing. We thought the burden was on the hypnotist. Yeah, it's the hypnotist's job. Yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's not job, my not, job yeah. to make the hypnotist yeah. look good. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. So, yeah. But the other guys were glued uh, to the wall? They were glued to the wall. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then this is where we look up the date of that and we see what kind of run the yeah. team went on. Right, after and, and then uh, you have to do post hypnotic interviews to say, okay, were you really stuck or were you just trying to help the guy out? Right, you right, know, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I felt bad for the hypnotist. Yeah. I didn't want him to be fully embarrassed. Um, but you know what? 
There's a big old mental skills department. I've had John Baker on this show before. Yeah. Tewksbury's a, a great guy, Bob Tewksbury, an interesting guy. And they work on meditation and visualization. They, they work on this stuff to get you at least in the, in, the, in the right enough headspace. And I'm not sure that's the answer to the road woes, but yeah, hey, like you say, whatever, whatever helps you buy yeah, it. Yeah, you know, and it may come down to, at times this year, uh, an ineffectual bullpen yeah. uh, when the other team gets the last at bat. Uh, obviously, that, that matters. Um, but but I still go back to if you're a good team, uh, and there's you know still a decent amount of baseball to be played here. I expect that road record will will neutralize a little bit, maybe even get back to 500. So the state of the bullpen right now is really interesting to me. Uh, I'm glad Strope's on the IL. Um, I, I'm glad that when he comes back, I think they'll still keep him in low leverage for a minute or two to see whether. You know he's going to be able to be trustworthy again. They've absolutely found something in Rowan Wick, and it feels like they know it. Like that's the middle closer guy that Madden goes to first. He did it with Quintana, right? Like first and third, nobody out. He goes to Rowan Wick, who gets out of it. Yeah, I, I think uh, that the, the you know we saw Wick in spring training, and he looked really good. Um, his numbers in Iowa were outstanding. He'd been on a real good run for you know, two, three months down there. Um, so, but it takes a little time at this level. I think to convince the pitching coach and the manager that you are worthy of those higher leverage situations. So they kind of watch it play out. Uh, you don't, it's always that balancing act. You don't want to turn the page on certain guys that you trust and they've done it before. So you kind of give them a little bit of a longer leash. But I think the more they watch Wick, the more said, let's give this guy a shot. Let's put him in some higher leverage situations. And it's not just performance and stuff. But how does it look? Because the one concern you have, because sooner or later you're going to go out there and get knocked around. How do you respond to that? So mm-hmm. you don't want to put a guy in that high leverage situation if you think he's going to just crater if he gets if he gives it up. And they, they like the look. Uh, I mean, they, they, they like the look in the eye. They like the confidence. And I think they feel comfortable that if he were to have a shaky outing, it's not going to adversely affect him where he just melts down. Yeah, it makes sense. Joe uh, Joe mentioned a play um, on, on the road. Maybe it was Milwaukee. I think it was Milwaukee where he fielded a ball on the mound and turned and made a throw, a quick and aggressive throw to third base. To get a runner, and Joe said that impressed him as much as anything. The fact that he was still able to have his wits about him and make the right play. Yeah, I mean, because he initially first started to turn to first a little yes. bit, and he said, wait a minute, he turned, he's like, i got to play here at third base. And that's a play a good number of pitchers, especially, I think, you know, you come into a, in a bullpen situation in a tight game, there's a lot of adrenaline, man. The heart's racing, you got a lot going on, and what looks like a very simple play becomes a difficult play to execute because yeah. there's a tendency, you hurry it. You know, the, the game speeds up on you. I mean, how many times have we seen it? Pitchers trying to make throws to the bases and they airmail it. That could easily have gone down the left field line. But yeah. he was cool and calm, didn't panic, boom, made a good throw. Again, it's a play that, you know, in a vacuum, you look at it and go, that's an easy play. But right. given the game situation, it's anything not. but. Yeah, and then, so you want to make sure the guy's got it. Jim Deshays is sitting with me, Matt Spiegel, here on Hit and Run on 6-7. The score, we're live at the Brick House Tavern just off Gallagher Way here at Wrigley Field. Um, and then, so, so how do, how do you... How do you handle that balance when Steve Ciszek tells you, oh, I can go, I can go, I'll do it, I'll gut through it, I got it, and it's his 50th appearance of the year, and the night before he threw 26 pitches, and it was an inning and a third appearance, so he warmed up in the pen, then on the mound, and then on the mound again after the inning. You know, it's like, you as the manager, I know you want to trust the guys who are warriors and have that mentality, but how do you, how do you say to yourself, no? He, he's not right. He'll tell me he will, but I, I know he's not right. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the communication you have to have pitcher, pitching coach, manager down the line because the manager has to know going into the game whether his guy's available or not and, and to what level. So 
you know, you hear Joe say it all the time. I'm staying away from this guy. I'd rather not use this guy, or I'm all in on this guy. Uh, I think C-Shack's experience, the fact that he has been so durable in his career, one of those rubber arm guys, it seems like he can go out there almost every day. Uh, so I think, based on his track record, if he says I'm good to go, you believe that, he, that he's good to go. Um, and, and so when he fails, when he has a rough one in that situation, you look back and you go, okay, did we push him too hard? Or did he just have a bad outing and he could have had the same outing had he had three days rest? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, we don't really know the answer to that. Um, the tendency of when a guy's been worked a lot is to think, well, he gave it up because he's been worked a lot. But if the velocity is where it normally is and the action on the slider is where it normally is, then he was probably physically fine and just made a couple bad pitches. God, it's so hard to figure this stuff out, isn't it? it it's so nuanced. But, like, I learned from you. When I watch C-Sheck and he's tired, and you say, boy, that's flat, and that slider looks flat. Um, and then yesterday, it didn't look as flat to me, I believe. I mean, you've got a better eye for it, obviously. But also, his command was so on point. He came in and just went right after people and, and looked good. So can they see that? Is it Franklin Font standing out there in the bullpen? Is that, is, is that who's standing out there? No. Uh, Lester Strode. Lester Strode. Lester Strode. So, so, so can Lester see it? Does Lester know what he's looking for, that Hadovy is looking for, that Joe is looking for, yeah. that C. Chicago has or doesn't? Yeah, I, I think that that communication takes place. A lot of times it's hard to tell what a guy's got in the bullpen, how it's going to translate on the mound. But I, I would imagine if, if a relief pitcher's warm-up doesn't look very crisp, yeah. that gets conveyed, like, you know, he gets called into the game, and it might be, you know, it didn't look that great. You know, they may call that, hey, how did it look? It looked really good, throwing the ball, ball's jumping out of his hand. Yeah. Or, yeah, it looked a little flat. Um, you know, he was taking more time between pitches, you know, so let's, let's get somebody else up so we can react if, if things go bad here in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's so difficult because it's not just the appearances, but it's the ups and downs. So. For every pitcher you put in the game, if you're trying to protect him by limiting his outing, yeah. well, that means another guy's up in the pen throwing. And so whether he gets in or not, he's, you know, he's accumulating at least a little bit of wear and tear out there. Right. It's, it's crazy stuff. All right, you mentioned Contreras. That's the bad news from yesterday. And, I, I mean, he pulls up right away. That's one thing. As he's just about to go in the dugout, that scream was kind of scary. Um, I find myself hoping that it's not torn. I don't know if they would know that by now. I know there's an MRI tomorrow. But even if it's just a pull, you got to figure you're looking at, what, two to four weeks? If it's a bad pull, maybe four to six. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I think that with, with, there's, you know, with hamstring strains, there is a range of different you know, degrees. Um, and, and, you know, I, I tried, you know, when I watched it all play out yesterday, I think, well, he didn't have to throw his arm around a trainer and, a, and, a, and somebody else and hobble off the field that way. He was kind of under his own power. Yeah. So, you know, I, <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of knowledge when it comes to this stuff, but I'm thinking, well, maybe this is, will be the mildest of, of all hamstring strains. But even at that, you're t- probably talking a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, because you, as you get closer to the end of the season, obviously you don't want to push him too much and have a blowout again, and then he's done for the rest of the year in any mm-hmm. postseason. So you've got you to monitor it. You've got to be real careful. Uh, so MRI tomorrow, you got to let it calm down a little bit before you do the MRI. But um, not good, but I, I'm hopeful. You know, I've seen tears. I've seen that blow, complete blowout, and it look, typically looks uglier than what we saw yesterday. It does. Yeah, yeah so, so yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, Taylor Davis has been here, and he'll be up here. Do you suspect, and you think they should go out and get one of these? They're guys on couches right now. 
I mean, Renee Rivera's on a couch, Nick Hundley, um, guys you've heard of, Bobby Wilson's on a couch. I mean, there are veterans, you know, mid to late 30s who know what they're doing defensively or out there. You might as well add one, uh, at least put them in the minors if they're Jonathan willing. LaCroix was just DFA'd yeah. um, by the Angels. So um, I guess my answer to that would be it depends on what your scouts have seen. You know, the scouts are out there watching games all the time. There's, there's a video. So, um, I mean, I think a lot of people immediately say, hey, LaCroix's available. You know, LaCroix um, is a really good player. Yeah. Well, if, if we've had people watch him play, and obviously he hasn't played in a while because of the injury he sustained, um, you know, if he looks reasonably close to the old Jonathan Lucroy, then I, yeah, absolutely. But, but maybe he doesn't. Um, so, you know, these guys, you know, they're checking all their boxes. They're, they're talking to everybody. They're looking at all available options uh-huh. um, so they can react. I, I was reading um, somewhere. How about Tony Kemp for Martin Maldonado? <laughs> <laughs> Are we interested in that? Can we flip that back? And then I, I got I to check the rules. Like, if, if they were to sign a guy and put him at AAA, and as long as he's up by the 31st, he could then be part of a potential playoff roster, right? That's my understanding, yeah. Right, I, I yeah. think so. Yeah, yeah. You, can so. Still, you can't trade, right. but you can still acquire players, players that have been either off a 40-man roster. Right. You can actually trade for guys that aren't on a 40-man roster. And ultimately bring them to the big leagues, and they okay. could they could play for you. Or these guys that have been DFA that are free agents, you can acquire. See, this is why the Lord invented Len Casper. It's like yeah. he, he knows he knows that stuff. Yeah. He knows those rules. Where is he? What, what's yeah. he doing? Um, and so 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 here we are. I, I read was reading today about Zach Granke and Justin Verlander and the absolute historical absurdity of them being together at this moment. And the MLB.com piece ended up talking about you know. Schilling and Pedro Martinez together, you know, or like those kind of things. Schilling and Randy Johnson together in Arizona. Guys who've achieved what these two guys have achieved by now, being teammates, still active, and still pitching well. And the closest comp around baseball right now was Hamels and Lester. And I, I, and I, I don't know that I think about it in those terms but when I stop and I slow down, Hamill's career is unbelievable, Lester's career is unbelievable, Lester is tough as hell and having a pretty good stretch right now and Hamill's looks completely rejuvenated overall, yesterday picked up right where he left off in June why is Hamill's so good right now? Yeah, well, um, you know, he's always had uh, a high level of, uh, I think it was Mike Hargrove that coined the phrase, pitchability, he just really knows how to pitch, he's uh, in unbelievable shape um, so, you know, he may be 35, but he pitches like he's 28. The stuff has pretty much remained the same throughout his career. Um, and, and so, you know, and that stuff always plays well. Even with a, a drop to, in, in velocity, yeah. uh, because of the change up in the command, he still has a chance to be a very good pitcher at an advanced age. Seen the same thing with Lester. Lester's velocity, not what it once was. And this is where the Cubs, their front office was, you know, they, they knew it when they got him. They said he will age well. The comp was Andy Pettit. If he loses velocity, that cutter, the competitiveness, the command, that's going to continue to play well. Um, so he'll be a really good starting pitcher even when he's not in his prime. And that's exactly how things have played out. Uh, but you're right. That's two guys with big resumes yeah. uh, on the same staff here. Yeah, su- superb postseason resumes, both of them. I, I, I don't remember whether Lester was MVP of that World Series, but I know he was, he was damn good and, and pitching as a kid, and his postseason ERA is preposterous. And, and, and here's Hamels. I, I find myself feeling really good about the rotation. I mean, you should, right? It's five starts in a row without a walk, I think Len mentioned yesterday. Yeah. 
And just overall, I mean, now all five guys are here. Darvish has an ERA under three uh, over his last, I think it's six starts. I mean, you're seeing these guys seem to be pitching very well at a very good time. Hendricks came off the injured list, hasn't missed a beat, uh, pitching at a high level. Darvish was the key. Uh, You know, heading into the All-Star break, um, for me it was, does Darvish become uh, a top-of-the-rotation type starter because there's a a trust level that you're going to get quality um, from the from the other guys, you know, Quintana's going to give you solid work, um, and and Darvish has, you yeah. Know, uh, he's not going out there giving you eight shutout innings, but Darvish early versus Darvish now, there's a wide gap, and, and the guy we're seeing now has been really good, really really good. Um, all right, you, you mentioned I mentioned the Astros, you mentioned the Astros. I, I want to know what kind of devil magic they're doing down there. Because they seem to... I mean, Aaron Sanchez shows up and throws six no-hit innings. And yeah, he was, uh, he was 0-13. His last 17 starts in Toronto, he was 0-13 with an ERA of 6 or 7. <laughs> and his very first start with the Astros, he throws six, six no-hit innings. I, I don't know. I know that, you know, uh, Brent Strom, the pitching coach, has a great reputation. Uh, they targeted him because of the spin rate and, and, and all that other stuff. You know, Sanchez is a guy... But two or three years removed from an ERA title, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So you know it's in there. So maybe the bigger question is, what the heck was going wrong in Toronto uh-huh. that they couldn't get productivity out of this kid? Um, and maybe it's just as simple as a change of scenery. You know? Well, well, I saw he threw thirty percent curveballs. That's the highest percentage of his career yeah. in yeah. any start. Well, and that's you know Charlie Morton went over there. They yeah. said, hey man, you got this great spin on your curve. Throw your curveball. He threw his curveball more. Yeah. McCullers with his breaking pitch. Yes. Uh, Colin McHugh. Um, so, and I think what happens is when you're, when an organization has had success doing that, like the Astros have, the buy-in comes a lot more quickly oh, for the instantly. player, right? So if, if he had been acquired by somebody else and they said, hey, you know, we want you to do this, he, well, it's not what I do. But the Astros, at this point with the success they had, Aaron, we want you to pitch while hopping up and down on one leg. Oh, kidoke. Heck of an idea, man. I'm in, you know, so... <laughs> No, you're, you're totally right, because it takes me back to this past offseason when Brandon Kinsler had to decide, you know what, I am going to trust this hottie fella. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and buy in and, yeah. and, and just do what he says well, and see what happens. And in fact, they give them, they don't just say do it, they say do it and here's why. Yeah. Here's the data, here's what we see, here's you know, the video, here's all the analysis, yeah. that if you do this, you're going to be better than you were. And you know, uh, uh, Trevor Bauer is among those convinced that they're using sticky stuff down there in Houston. But, I mean, a lot of people are using sticky stuff. Did you, did you see Trevor Bauer's spin rate experiment that he did last year? Did you happen to see this or catch wind of this? I, I read about when he went out and pitched with it, right? Yes. And then, and then didn't. Yes. Yeah. There, was, there was one inning of one start where his spin rate on his curveball was like five times what it usually is. And that yeah. came a start after he had said that people are using stuff. And then they asked him, were you using it in that inning? He said, I, 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 don't, I, I refuse to comment on it. So, like, he's he trying to prove that point. Could, could one org get away with that while other orgs are not doing it these days in MLB? I think a, a lot of pitchers are, are using something to increase tackiness. Um, I, I think when you have pitchers with high-level stuff, that you enhance to the next level, uh-huh. that, that can be a real difference maker. Uh, if you take me and my prime, and I went out there and used that to increase my spin rate, well, I, I take that. it would have helped my four. I had a good four-seam fastball, but I, I did have good spin rate, uh, even though we didn't know it at the time. 
Um, and, and, and was that? Did you guys talk about that as a rising fastball? Even yeah, we just said he's got, it, we talked about deception and riding fastballs. The, the the term spin rate was not anything anybody talked about. We had no idea. You know, if you brought that up in our clubhouse, we were just, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, at least I, it was there. I was never exposed to it. Uh, but I think right. So any, any incremental advantage you gain, if you take a guy that throws ninety six, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander. Those with that that kind of stuff, yeah. And then add, and I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying if they are, that to me would 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 make a, a significant difference. Yeah, and who and who knows what they're looking at with Rap Soto and Trackman and Edger trying I, to yeah. Business. I think release point. I think there's a lot about extension and, and release, trying to get further out in front, longer stride. Um, the the it's just next level how sciency yeah. uh, we've gotten here. What what would you have jumped at in, in your career? Would you have jumped at all this stuff? I would, well, we we we, we were we uh, my generation we we all balked at everything. Anything that came along that was new is like no yeah we got this we got here on our own you know uh-huh. we don't because I know we had. Uh, a strength and conditioning coach in Houston, a fellow by the name of Gene Coleman. Dr. Gene Coleman worked with NASA astronauts uh, and a wonderful guy. And, and so Gene would, you know, I'm one year in spring training and he had us throwing medicine balls and running with parachutes attached to us and all, stuff that became kind of commonplace over a period of time. And we were like, this guy's nuts. He's like <laughs> insane. You know, we just, we're going to jog our wind sprints or maybe we'll go ahead and get on the exercise bike uh-huh. and we'll throw our bullpens and we'll go pitch. And that, that was kind of the... You know, it's sure. stupid. Yeah, uh, but. I, I don't. I, you know, I don't know that it's stupid. I mean, well, I, I guess history says yes. Yeah, history, and I think what has happened now, I think the modern player, because of what has happened, all the developments, and, yeah. and it's kind of evidence based now that this stuff helps you. Um, I think guys are more likely to buy in more quickly. Yeah. Jim, thank you. Uh, appreciate the time much. Um, and any good trivia that's been rolling around upstairs with Craig, our guy Craig? Uh, in, in no, the I, miss, I miss Craig the last couple of days. Um, I got nothing. All right. I got nothing. Well, if, if anything finds you. I get something. Uh, well, how long are you on for? Uh, <laughs> until until twelve. If I get up top there, I'll shoot you a text. I appreciate All it. Right, man. All right. Thanks, Jim. Right. That's Jim Deshays from the Cubs broadcast team right here on 670 The Score. Uh, 312-644-6767 is the phone number. We're going to talk to uh, former White Sox GM Danny Evans a little bit later in the hour. Keep it right here on Hit and Run. We're live at Brick House Tavern off of Gallagher Way. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You're listening to Hit and Run, your Sunday morning baseball friend. That's me, Matt Spiegel, here with you. Live at Brickhouse Tavern, Budweiser Brickhouse Tavern next to Wrigley Field is the ultimate destination to go before, during, or after a Cubs game. Visit BrickhouseTavernCHI.com. And the bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Your Western Conference champion, Chicago Wolves, will open the season on Saturday, October 5th. For group and season tickets, visit ChicagoWolves.com. Looking around at the probable pitchers today, Renato Lopez and the White Sox. At, uh, at noon, so in just about a half an hour, we'll go against Drew Smiley of the Philadelphia Phillies. He has been terrific in two starts 
with the Phillies as they scramble like mad to keep themselves afloat and target the postseason as their payroll demands, as their window demands. Drew Smiley's thrown 13 innings and allowed just one run. And then other games of confident, conf, uh, consequence, Shane Bieber uh, and the Indians are just three games back of the Twins. Bieber goes against the Angels today. And those Twins go against Kansas City uh, at, at the bottom of their rotation. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, a late scratch today. It looks like Devin Smeltzer is going to get the start uh, for them against Brad Keller. Those Twins are so fun to watch. They're so deep and so good. Uh, they really are. Verlander goes for Houston. So that's nice. You're the Mariners. You got no hit yesterday or last night uh, going against four different pitchers for the Houston Astros. And now the next day, it's all right, Verlander. Justin Verlander has struck out at least 11 people in each of his last three starts. At least 11. He's got 31 double-digit strikeout games in his career. Dude is outrageous. He, his whip remains... 0.81. He and Garrett Cole and Zach Greinke are in your top four in whip, if not your top three. They're all on the same team. Freaking Astros. Elsewhere around the game, the Cardinals and Adam Wainwright. See, I, I, I don't know if Adam Wainwright can continue his devil magic that he's had against the Cubs as he goes against a pretty, pretty good team there in Atlanta. It's Adam Wainwright against Tanner Rourke. For the A's, that new acquisition as uh, Tanner Rourke gone from the Reds, replaced by Trevor Bauer. Uh, the Nationals and the D-backs, Patrick Corbin, Taylor Clark. And that, tonight's the, the real good one, uh, David Price and J.A. Happ. Wow, interesting. Really, Red Sox-Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball. That's, that's odd. Yeah, there they are. Uh, Chris Paddock is a really interesting arm. He goes for the Padres. He's got a 278 ERA. Uh, against the Dodgers, Kenta Maeda. Walker Bueller was filthy yesterday for the Dodgers. 15 strikeouts in a complete game victory. And it's going to be a really interesting time come the playoffs. We'll see. You know, you don't want to count 100% of your chickens. You really don't. And, I mean, far be it from me to put the Cubs in the playoffs. But if they were to be in the playoffs, you're looking at probably the Braves in that first game, Right. You want to chase down the Braves and get home field advantage. It, it, you, you want to. I don't know if you can. They're 20 games over 500. They're good. They just got some bullpen help and Shane Green, Mark Melanson. But you're the Cubs. I mean, win your division, obviously. You're only a half game up on the Cardinals. But if you want a long-term dream, you want to, you want to dream big for these last 52 games that they have over the season's final two months, chase down the Braves. Go ahead. Try and chase them down. Remember when the Braves were here a few weeks back? They're good. And they were getting it done with kind of a piecemeal bullpen, some weird dudes. They didn't know who the closer was from, from game to game. Now they've, they've bulked up that bullpen. But some of their pieces have come back to earth. Austin Riley, their rookie, was hitting really well. Not so much anymore. But it's good to have big old dreams and goals if you are the Cubs. And you might as well try and chase down those Braves. I was reading a really, really good article about Ozzie Guillen and his son, Osni Guillen. And Osni, 
who you might remember was drafted by the White Sox, but he was drafted in like the 21st round. He was unhappy with where he was drafted. It was the beginning of the end of the, the good relationship at the time, by the way, for the Guillen family and the White Sox. Anyway, Osney decided he wanted to be a manager, and he is now a manager for the Astros, single A for the Houston Astros, that tremendous organization. But in order to get there, he took a class. In order, before his, his, his interview with Houston, he took a class. And, and I'm fascinated by this concept of baseball guys willingly, with self-awareness, saying, I need to get smarter about X as they try to become whatever role that is in baseball. I want to know about that class. Former White Sox GM Dan Evans is the man who taught that class. And we're going to talk with him next, right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Abreu, a laser to left field. Velasquez, up with it. Garcia, coming home. And he is safe at the plate. One and two. Got him, strike three. One of the strangest games you'll ever see is complete. That was the other night. A really, really weird, weird, weird 15-inning um, affair because it was strange. It's strange for the Philadelphia Phillies and Gabe Kapler to end up where they were with Vincent Velasquez in left field making a couple of great defensive plays and a position player on the mound for two innings of consequence in a game while you're in the hunt. Weird, weird stuff. Um, Dan Evans uh, was in the White Sox front office for a long time, was a scout with the Toronto Blue Jays, was the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and these days is in charge of several different things, but sportsmanagementworldwide.com is the website. And I've talked to Danny before and really enjoy talking to you all the time. Uh, Dan Evans joins us right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. And I read your name the other day in an article about Osni Gian. But uh, first of all, good morning and thanks for joining us, Dan. How are you? Well, well, thanks for having me on. I love talking to people from my hometown. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, man. See, nice, nice to, to talk to you as well. Where is, where's the spot? Where was home right here, Dan, at first? Well, Home on the north side, Lincoln Square, went to Lane Tech and then DePaul University and spent uh, every moment of my springs and summer and actually my winter times at Winnemac Park and River Park on the north side. Outstanding. And then and then you end up working with the White Sox. And from everybody I've talked to was talking about you uh, with Bruce Levine off the air yesterday, that you were an early adopter of analytics as a member of front offices that you were you were a guy you had the binder before everybody had binders is that fair to say yeah i was a pioneer in that area the white Sox were one of the most progressive organizations i've ever been around um in the early 80s we were doing shifting we were doing all sorts of computer and data analysis we were doing video um you know a lot of people gravitated towards Moneyball and around 2000 and we were doing that stuff 15 years earlier we just didn't tell anybody so i'm really i'm really proud of the things we did with the white Sox and with with jerry and the owner you know the rest of the ownership being as progressive as they were we did some real cutting edge things we just didn't brag about it it's it's interesting were you involved in a lot of conversations that 
you know, it, 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 everywhere that you've been, where you've had to tussle with the old school mentality, were you involved in some of those conversations early on of like trying to show people, look, we're not the devil. Numbers are not the devil. This is just kind of quantifying some of the stuff that we've all been talking about forever. Well, I started with the White Sox when I was a junior in college at DePaul. And, um, you know, the one thing that, that Jerry and the, the new group with the White Sox brought was a different look at things and not being afraid to be not only cutting edge, but look at things differently, a contrarian position. So when I first started, um, I did get pushback, and I got pushback from a game that really hadn't had much in the way of um, data analysis and video analysis and incorporating computers into the game. And we changed the dimensions of the park for the 1983 season, and we did it. Um, literally through the analysis of um, an entire 1982 season that displayed that we were hitting more balls that were caught at the warning track than the other team. We vastly changed the uh, ballpark, added about eight rows of golden boxes, set a club record for most runs scored in the ballpark that had been a cavern for about 70 years, suddenly became a really good offensive park. And um, I think it really changed the way people in our organization viewed um, metrics, viewed analytics, because we as a group saw the benefits. And a lot of people throughout the game couldn't figure out why we came up with the idea to do it, and it was all data-driven. And luckily, people like Roland Heeman and Dave Dombrowski and Howard Pizer and Jack Gould and Jerry Reinsdorf were receptive to the thought alone from a kid who was, a, at the time, I was a senior in college. Huh. You know, it's interesting, Dan, because it, it, it's, been, it's been a long run for the White Sox to not be thought of, uh, frankly, as cutting edge. And they were you thought of as being behind the times for a while. And then the, really these last three years as Rick Hahn and, 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 and Jeremy Haber and some of these other guys have really ramped things up. It's interesting to think about the context uh, that you bring to it that, of course, an energetic new ownership group in Jerry Reinsdorf was absolutely on the cutting edge at the time. It just, it, time, times change and things move fast in baseball, don't they? Yeah, right time, right place. And I think the other thing is that we had a tremendous nucleus of front office and player development and scouting staff that turned out to be some of the real, real great people in the game. And we had a phenomenal hitting coach, a great pitching coach in, in Charlie Lau and in Dave Duncan and Tony LaRusso is one of the, one of the finest people I've ever met in my career and had so much to do with giving me at an extremely young age, kind of a, a leash and just saying, Hey, just run with this. Just don't go too far. Um, and I think the young manager with a new management team and a thirst to for winning. I mean, the city hadn't won since 1959. So we, as an organization, um, in 1983, were the first baseball team to get in in a generation. And I think it was a real wonderful experience to feel the the energy and the the magic of being a winner for the first time in an extended period. And the way we did it, we did it differently. And uh, you mentioned Rick Hahn a moment ago. You know, Rick's one of the one of the truly, really great people in the sport, and he's really, really good at what he does. And I'm not surprised that they're, you know, being being very cutting edge and being very innovative in what they're doing because that's who Rick's all about. 
Dan Evans is with us, uh, the former Dodgers GM, former Blue Jays scout, and, and White Sox front office staffer at a very young age. And sportsmanagementworldwide.com is the website. So Ozzy Gian, Ozzy's son, decides he wants to, as he realizes he's not going to be a player anymore, wants to be a manager. And I was reading in the piece by John Greenberg on The Athletic that he took an analytics course through sports management worldwide. It, are there courses specifically for guys who want to be managers? I know there are courses specifically for guys who perhaps want to be GMs or want to be in front offices. Um, it, it, tell us which course Osney took and how it, how it kind of works. Well, I tell you, the, the, the cool thing about the course is it's online and it's for college credit. And we meet for eight weeks. We meet twice a week with all sorts of information dispersed and all sorts of interaction between the participants. We've been selling out the course for about a seven-year period. I teach it. Uh, I teach a couple of uh, one course. There's two courses offered, but I teach along with a gentleman named Hank Jones, who's one of the best amateur scouts in the country based up in the Northwest. And we also have an analytics course, which is led by Ari Kaplan, one of the brightest minds in the game, um, an absolute brilliant man who's also extremely innovative and one of the great architects of data analysis in the game. He has super people skills, and he's a Chicago resident. He lives in the Lincoln Park area. And, and I, what we've tried to do is we've tried to take um, an offering and give people a foundation on a weekly basis to improve their chances to do whatever they want to do in the game, whether it's on the field, scouting, front office, analytics. Um, we also have marketing and sales opportunities within the group. And sports management worldwide has really cultivated a fantastic group of people. And we've had former Cy Young Award winners. We've had MVP um, people who have you know, been in the running for MVP in baseball. Um, we've had big league coaches, bench coaches, current players and former players. And they take the class, um, they take the class as trying to get themselves a better foundation of the sport to do what they want to do. And it's, uh, candidly, it's been a lot of fun because I'll have people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Last, um, last session, I had, I think, 33 people and from six different continents and all sorts of different backgrounds, some playing, some um, front office, some professors, some second careers. And the placement rate um, has been fantastic. In fact, one of our alums uh, this week is going to take a job with one of the best teams in baseball, a really wonderful opportunity. And all I'm trying to do is give back to a game that's been so good to me and I just realized I had superior people as mentors early in my career. So I'm trying to be that mentor. Ozzy, you know, had been a buddy of mine. I met Ozzy when he was 20 years old when we traded for him in 1980, what, 86 or 85. And um, Ozzy's son, you know, Ozzy was looking to get into the game. His playing career was over. Um, approached me and just said, you know, what do you think? Would your class make a difference? And I said, you know, your class would not only make a difference, but it would give you some confidence that you were operating on the same platform as everybody else around you. And also I try to take some of the 
um, the uncertainty and the naivete away from candidates because I want them to not only be aware of what's going on around them, but some of the tools and methodology that people utilize today to gravitate to answers, to take some of the subjectivity out. So what we try to do more than anything is we just try to bring things to the surface so when people start to you know, look for a job, they're in an interview, and they have an opportunity to be better than their peers. Ozzy did a great job in the class and you know, got an A in the class and did really well, was highly interactive. And, you know, I mean, he's a Gian, so he has energy, and he knows the game, and he's been around the game. And he, like so many of our alums, came out of it better, more prepared, and he's done a terrific job so far with the Astros New York Penn League team. And I, you know, I check the box score every day because I want to see how he's doing. One, because he's an alum, and two, because I've known the kid since he was born. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting, Dan, because the role of the manager these days, you can't exist as a manager. Uh, on any level in a good organization, and certainly not on the big league level, without a healthy, full understanding of this stuff and an openness to this stuff, as well as a willingness to work with the guys who are in charge of this stuff, right? I mean, the landscape has changed. You've got to be up to date. Well, com- completely. You know, an analyst who doesn't know scouting is as bad as a scout who doesn't know an, an analysis. And, you know, for me, ignorance is a dangerous thing. Um, it breeds some real problems. It breeds a lack of trust. It, it really brings a, a very dangerous attitude to an organization, to a, any situation, whether it's baseball or real estate or whatever. And I think what, what Osney did is what so many of our alums did, and that is suddenly having a keen feel for what everybody in the organization is doing, not just one segment. And one of the ways you get better is by incremental improvement in areas that you're not very good in. You know, it's very dangerous to be strictly a manager who doesn't understand analytics, doesn't understand scouting. I always think the player development people should scout, and scouts should be in player development. And we did that with the White Sox in the late 90s. Um, We had scouts work on player development uh, situations, and player development staff go out and scout. And I think what it does is it builds a trust, it builds a level of awareness, but it also builds respect for what people are doing. And people don't feel as threatened because they suddenly understand the process. And any good organization uses as many tools as they can to eliminate risk, lower the chances of subjectivity causing um, issues and making decisions. And more than anything, just bring more things to the surface so you have a better chance of getting it right. I mean, after all, your job as a team, there's only 30, 30 clubs in the big leagues, and your job is to get as many of your decisions right. And the subjectivity of the game is dangerous. I mean, it's, 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 it's a bizarre sport sometimes when you think about some of the things that have occurred. And, you know, it's so different. It's so unique than any other game that's played at the professional level. So to eliminate subjectivity and narrow the risk is a good thing. So analytics combined with scouting, I have always felt to be a really great combination. Um, For me, a concoction that works very well and, and usually brings more success than the teams that do one but not the other. Dan, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Great to talk to you. 
You got it. Anybody has any interest in, in our stuff, go look at sportsmanagementworldwide.com and you'll see the baseball and GM scouting course. You'll see the baseball analytics course. We'd love to have people join us and just give the game a little better foundation. All right, appreciate it. There it is. Dan Evans, uh, sportsmanagementworldwide.com is the uh, is the site. Um, we are live here at Wrigley Field here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. By the way, get in the game with the Chicago Dogs baseball team today on Family Sunday with pregame autographs, $3 bottomless popcorn and soda. Tickets are available at thechicagodogs.com. The Chicago Dogs, baseball with everything. Hit and Run has about 35 more minutes to go. Zach Zaidman will be right here at Brickhouse to do his pregame show as we bring you towards Cubs-Brewers, the final of a three-game set as the Cubs go for the sweep. Uh, we've got the very latest from pregame. Joe Madden talking. Taylor Davis is here to be the second catcher. Wilson Contreras to the injured list. And I want to talk to you about why I think Jed Hoyer might be a closet hippie. We'll do all that next on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.